preach a message entitled, Isaiah's Message, or Isaiah Speaks to America. I don't have this thing on. I was trying to wear it different, and it bothered me, so we're going to change back to normal. All right, Isaiah chapter 1, I want us to have our text in verse 2 and verse 16 through 18 of Isaiah chapter 1. When you find that in the Word of God, please stand to your feet in honor and respect of the Word of God. On the back of your bulletin, you'll find every um, judge. I don't think I've ever, uh, I don't think I've ever prayed for every judge on the Supreme Court, and we need to pray for them. Amen. Um, we need to pray for our country. It's in a mess, and we need to have revival. That's what I'm going to preach on tonight. Is Isaiah is speaking to Israel, but he could very well be speaking to America. And in essence, he is speaking to America because God preserved his word for us to hear. So Isaiah chapter 1, verse 2. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 2. The Bible says this. Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. I have nourished and brought up children, and they have rebelled against me. I believe the Lord brought up this country, but I believe we have rebelled against him. Then turn to uh, uh, verse 16. Verse 16 through 18. Wash you, chapter 1, wash you, make you clean, put away the evil of your doings from before mine eyes, cease to do evil. Look at verse 17. Learn to do well, seek judgment, relieve the oppressed, judge the fatherless, plead for the widow. Come now, let us uh, reason together, saith the Lord, though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow, though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. You may be seated as I pray. Father, thank you for this great chapter Isaiah uh, wrote many years ago to Israel. God, I believe that with all my heart we could, we could apply it to America today. And so, dear God, speak to our hearts and speak to our nation Lord, we know it all begins with your people, which are called by your name, to seek your face and turn from their wicked ways. Humble ourselves and pray. And God, you promised that you'd heal our land. So, Lord, please, we stand in need of revival. We stand in need of personal revival. This world tries to wear us down and wear us out. But God, we need you more than we need the world. So, Lord, please speak to our hearts, and we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, although I believe that Isaiah wasn't the um, Christian leader of the year. He probably wasn't the most popular leader in the year, but he delivered God's message no matter what. And as we examine this prophet, Isaiah, as he begins to talk to the nation or preach to the nation about how they went away from God, I can't help but think about America. And they were going through sacrifices, and they were, and incense was offered regularly. Religious holy days were observed. Rituals were observed. Feasts were faithfully observed. And under all this, the holy God delivered a message to Israel about their idolatry, about their rebellion, about their deceptiveness, even though they had a form of godliness, denying the power thereof. So I want to give you about five things or six that um, Isaiah deals with about the nation of Israel 
and how he's speaking to America about it. Number one, the menace of materialism. Look at chapter 5, verse 8. Chapter 5, verse 8. The Bible says this, Woe unto them that join house to house, that lay field to field, there be no place that they may be placed alone in the midst of the earth. <clears throat> he was saying, Woe unto you that live just for money. Uh, I, I, somebody emailed me this, and I don't know if it's accurate, and I, I, it's hard to believe if it is, but in 2013, the stats came out about Walmart, and it said that every hour of every day, America spends $36 million every hour of every day at Walmart. Glory to God. And uh, that's a profit of $20,928 every minute. They make $20,000 every minute. Now, I'm not preaching against Walmart because I happen to like the place. That's where we bought the ice cream this afternoon because Kroger was out. So you got to go to Walmart, amen? But, um, you know, I believe that America has a problem. Uh, we want more and better things. It's all right to have things as long as things don't have you. And I think we're guilty sometimes of trying to have more houses, more land, more stock, more securities, more cars, more retirement fund, more personal luxuries, more conveniences. And that was the problem in, in Isaiah's day. He looked at them and he said, hey, listen, you live for money. You woe unto you that have house to house, fill to fill, and there's no place, there may be place alone in the midst of the earth. And so what he was saying is, you live more for what you want than what I want. And it's the menace of materialism. I looked up some other statistics this afternoon, and uh, it blows my mind if I had one. But um, the average credit card debt per U.S. adult excluding zero balance cards and store cards, is $4,878. The average debt per credit card that usually carries a balance is $8,220. The average debt per credit card that doesn't usually carry a balance is $1,037. And the average number of cards held by cardholders is 3.7 as of the end of 2009. This is what really blew my little mind. Uh, it says the total U.S. outstanding consumer debt is $3.33 trillion as of January 2014. $3.33 trillion. That's why you'll never see a bank that's run down. Amen? They are making a lot of money on our credit and on... Uh, you know, my mother taught me a long time ago, if you don't have it, don't spend it. Amen? And uh, I believe that one of your greatest freedoms will be a freedom of debt. Uh, it's not to death do you part in a lot of marriages, it's to debt do you part. Some people are so broke they can't pay attention. They have a lot of things, but I want to tell you something, friend. Um, there's a lot of things going on today in America that make us look like all we live for is the next paycheck. All we live for is the next toy, the next thing. And uh, somebody's getting rich, but I don't believe it's us. Amen? I don't believe it's you. I don't believe it's me. I believe sometimes we can be uh, lured into 
you need to have this or you won't be happy. You know, I wish there was one thing I would have invested in many years ago, and I almost did. I thought about it. I didn't, I didn't know how to do it. But I, thought, I wish I'd invested in cell phones. You know, I don't know of anybody that doesn't have a cell phone that's, that's uh, over the age of 10. Amen? I mean, 10-year-olds have cell phones now. And I don't know anybody that doesn't uh, carry one with you. Uh, some of you teenagers, you can't even look up at me during the sermon because you're so busy with your little smartphone. But I'm going to tell you something. A smartphone won't make you smart unless you put God first. Amen? Those things can be addictive, amen, very addictive. And so, folks, somewhere, somehow, the telephone companies have, have uh, designed something to make us get bigger and better phones all our life, amen. I believe Brother Larry's the only one in this church that's got a flip phone. <laughs> amen, Brother St Oh, you got one, okay. Okay, oh, you got one, okay, amen. All you flip phones, st stand to your feet. And get a smartphone, amen. But anyway, you know, I'm just saying uh, uh, consumerism. Uh, I majored in marketing in, at Georgia State University, and, and, uh, and then I, I got out of accounting because I just couldn't stand it. I didn't want to push numbers all my life. I wanted to, uh, I wanted to uh, be going to personnel management. But marketing creates a need when it's really just a want. Marketing's an expert at just trying to get you to think you cannot live without it. And that's good marketing. I'm saying it's good marketing. And people make millions of dollars being good marketing managers. So, first of all, I believe one of the ruinations of any nation is that we live for things instead of God. And we have so many toys that sometimes they get in the way of our worship and in, in the way of our pursuit of God because we're pursuing the next hobby, the next fun, the next uh, adventure. And it doesn't matter if we have enough money to go there or do that. We can just charge it. I once counseled a lady said, every time I get depressed, she was sitting right next to her husband, every time I get depressed, I go out and charge something. And he looked at me with a sort of grimace and said, now you know why I'm depressed. And uh, it, was, it was bad. I don't know why I'm laughing. It was, it was terrible because they had really just got under it and they couldn't get out of it. And so we need to be free to let God be Lord. Not our credit cards, not money, not J.C. Penney's, but Jesus Christ. Amen? I don't know if anybody goes to J.C. Penney's anymore, but anyway. Uh, in the old days, nobody would open on Sunday. Remember those blue laws? Now, now uh, you know, we ought to get back to that. I don't know what you ladies would do. I guess you have to learn to cook. But it would be, uh, it'd be wonderful to have, a, have, a, have nothing open on Sunday. Amen? Uh, and you say, oh, the, the stores will go broke. Have you been to Chick-fil-A lately? Say amen. Have you tried to go through the drive-thru lately? You will have to start at the gym back there in the back and come around to get to, and then they have two lines and have people out in the parking lot. I believe God blesses somebody that will take a day of rest. All you plant managers ought to give your employees a day of rest. I don't believe plants ought to go 24-7. I, I think that's materialistic. I think you ought to make enough in six days and close it down on Sunday. Amen. I'm preaching now. I'm just getting warmed up. I've had a little trouble getting ready here. But I want to tell you something, folks. The menace of materialism, if Isaiah the prophet said, Woe to you that have house to house and, and place to place. And, folks, I believe that we ought to ask God to meet our needs but not our greeds. So, amen.
I'm going to get off that point. Number two, the pursuit of pleasure. The pursuit of pleasure. The word amuse means don't think. Amuse, just don't think. Six Flags Over Georgia, uh, some of our members are down there right now. Uh, Disney World, Dollywood, never had a chance to go with any of them, hardly. Well, maybe Disney World. And then Mickey Mouse went corrupt. But, uh, uh, you know, uh, they know how to make money. And the way they make money is they have fun rides. I love roller coasters. I, 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 I love them. I, I, no hands, get on them, have fun, I, you know, pursue it. But, folks, I want to tell you something. We should not let that be our drive. Look at Isaiah 5, 11. It says, Woe unto them. Here's another woe. That rise up early in the morning that they may follow strong drink and continue until night till wine inflame them. And the harp and the vial and the tambour and the pipe and the wine are their feasts, but they regard not the work of the Lord, neither consider the operation of his hands. Folks, Israel did not have time to seek God. They were, they were, they were and way back then, 760 years before Christ was even born, they were looking for another pleasure. They were looking for all the gusto, pardon that expression. That's from a bad commercial. All the gusto they could get. Amen? And I'll tell you something, friend. The amusement uh, industry is the number one industry in America. Uh, they make more money than anybody besides the credit cards and the banks. And so we live to please ourselves and don't live to please God. Look at Isaiah chapter 2, verse 6. Isaiah 2, 6 real quick. The Bible says this, Therefore thou hast forsaken thy people, the house of Jacob, because they, they be re replenished from the east and are soothsayers like the Philistines, and they please themselves in the children of strangers. You know what that's saying? They find their pleasure in the world. I want to just say this, you got a problem if you're pleased more with the world's music than you are God's music. you got a problem if you'd rather watch TV than go to church. And folks, uh, there has not been a major revival since the invention of TV. Think about that for a second. And I'm not for you to go uh, throw your TVs in the river or crash them with a, uh, a lot of people done that, and then they had to go buy some more. But I believe you ought to control the thing, amen? Uh, the biggest panic in the house is when you lose the remote control. Say amen. Amen. That's the panic of all panics. And folks, it's also... Uh, a big uh, struggle of who's going to control the remote. I've already settled that many years ago. But anyway, you know, they live only to please yourself. Only to please yourself. Look at Isaiah 2, verse 16. Isaiah 2, 16. The Bible says, And upon the ships of Tarsan, and upon all pleasant pictures. I mean, all these heathen was bringing in these sensual pictures. Folks, uh, one of the, uh, the most profitable industries in America, and it's so sad to say this, is pornography. It's everywhere. And let me just say this, it's as addictive as drugs and it's as addictive as drinking. And some of y'all been through that. And folks, I believe the computer is, saps the vitality and the power and the life out of your very marriage when that comes into your life. You need to watch what you watch. And pornography is addictive, it's aggressive, and it's deadly. And if your wife ever finds out you're addicted to it, she will lose respect for you because she believes you've lost respect for her. 
and she'll never measure up to that fictitious sexual fantasy. Uh, there's more people at the Braves game tonight than there are in the house of God. Does that bother you? It don't really bother you as long as they win, but folks, there's more people at Walmart than there is here. In the old days, I hate to say this, but I'll say it anyway, they didn't have anywhere else to go but church. It was the highlight of their week. They went in wagons and, and, they, and they preached two or three hours and they stayed all day and they had dinner on the grounds every Sunday and they tried to get back to the house before dark. And that was, a, that was the Lord's day. They would have never thought about uh, uh, doing all the amusement that's available today on Sunday. It's sad that we compete with the world in America. And then number three, we see the woe of blatant rebellion. Number three, the pursuit of pleasure, the menace of materialism. But I want you to see what, he's, what he says, woe, and that means beware, beware. In verse, chapter 5, verse 18, the Bible says this. It says, woe unto them that draw iniquity with the cords of vanity and, and sin as it were with a cart rope. Folks, God's people don't even attempt to hide their sin anymore. There's no sense of shame. They've lost their blush. They take sin with them. Uh, I, I'm amazed that some people brag on their sin on Facebook. They say, oh, we had such a great time here at 11 o'clock on Sunday morning. Don't, I don't think you ought to publicize your sin. Keep it to yourself if you're going to backslide. Say amen. And it bugs me, it really, it, and, and I need to give it up just because it bugs me so much that some people brag about being at the races or brag about being at the ball game or brag about this during the Lord's day on the, in the Lord's time. That's blatant rebellion. It's wicked. Sin is being openly practiced and tolerated, and now it's even condoned and it's endorsed by the law. And it's in the... And, and it's because of freedom of speech. Pornography's all right. It's a, it's a freedom of people to um, uh, be their own woman, and so they go out and kill a baby. Folks, I want to tell you something. That's not freedom. That's breaking the boundaries of God's love and God's law. You, know, you might not like this, but bitterness, anger, lack of love, pornography, adultery, fornication, divorce, and worldliness, and on and on and on. It's just an everyday thing now. And in America, it is condoned, but it is also endorsed. And I want to tell you something. If you stand against it, you're a fuddy-dud, you're out, you're a conservative, you're a biblicalist, you're a fundamentalist. And folks, I want to tell you something. People won't flock to a church like that. But I want to tell you something. If you have a show and everything goes and nothing's wrong, you'll have thousands on Sunday. Does that bother you? I'm telling you, friend, open, blatant rebellion is a woe. It says woe unto them that uh, draw iniquity with cords of vanity. Now, folks, I, I told you Isaiah's not a popular preacher. I'm just, I'm just quoting him. But I'm not running for any campaign today, so I'm going to preach it just like Isaiah preached it to America. And then we see, number four, the binding of the boastful. Look at verse 20, Isaiah 5, 20. And if you think this is easy, you ought to try to stand up here and preach this. Preaching, preaching is not easy. 
It's necessary. And it's a calling. So you preach, thus saith the Lord. And you don't look at their faces. You just preach. Because you're trying to get to their heart. But look at verse 20. It says, Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil, and put darkness for light and light for darkness, and put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Now, folks, I want to tell you something. Through discontinual, repeated disobedience, a nation's conscience can be seared. God's people develop sometimes a twisted, perverted sense of right and wrong because everybody else is doing it. Well, folks, I want to tell you something. If everybody else is going to hell, do you want to go with them? And folks, people are acting like the devil. You want to be like him? No, we need to be like Jesus. We need to glorify God. Today, there's a lot of gray. The lines have been trying to erase, especially liberals. They want to erase all the lines. And they said, that's all relative. There's nothing. And that's why the Ten Commandments have been kicked out of the courthouse and the schoolhouse. And they're trying to kick them out of God's house because those are absolute standards. And I believe as Christians, we ought to have absolute standards that the Word of God is the authority for our life. It's the guideline. It's the pillar of truth. It's the foundation. It's the light. It's the way, He's the way, the truth, and life. And folks, they indulge and find satisfaction in things that God hates. God hates some things that we find satisfaction in as a, as a nation. And folks, I believe it breaks God's heart. And I believe God's hand is just about to be removed from this nation. And folks, we scoff at the values of God. Does it bother you that politicians cannot even mention Jesus Christ and get elected? I mean, they blasted our vice president up one side of the nation to the other because he claimed to be born again and saved out of the Catholic Church and he was truly saved and he had standards and convictions about life beginning at conception, they tried to find everything they could against our vice president. And he ain't, he ain't wavered. And I admire him for that. You say, you're politicking. No, I tell you what, you give me a Democrat, you give me a, a, a woman or a, or a black person or a Hispanic person that will stand with the Bible, I'll go out and campaign for them. But folks, you won't find someone that doesn't believe in the Line of truth. We shed innocent blood. It's abomination to God. And our nation laughs at people that say that we should not shed innocent blood. There's no more innocent blood than a baby in a womb. There's no more innocent baby, person. They have a right to live. They have no voice. We need to be their voice. God's their voice. And folks, listen. Some people say, well, the courts should protect the mother. And that's the mother can take the life of her unborn child. No, she can't. Only God is the author of life and death. God resists the proud, but our society encourages ladder climbing, self-assertion, independent, self-sufficient spirit. They promote it. I want you to turn to a shocking verse in Jeremiah chapter 8 verse 12 if this does not describe America I don't know what does Jeremiah chapter 8 verse 12 
You with me? It's just next door to Isaiah, just a few, few pages over. Jeremiah chapter 8, verse 12. Look at this. The Bible says this. Were they ashamed when they had committed abominations? Now, what's abomination? It's anything God calls sin. And it's what makes God sick, like pride, shedding innocent blood, sowing discord. It's all abomination. It says, and they were not at all ashamed, neither could they blush. Therefore shall they fall among them that fall in the time of their visitation. They shall be cast down, saith the Lord. I hate to say this, I hate to be so negative on this holiday weekend, but I'm preaching the truth so we can be set free and have a sense of peace about our life. America's lost its blush. We're no longer ashamed of sin. I tell you, we're, there's a generation coming up that it would take something tragic. I mean, it would take something blatantly horrible they get called in for them to blush because everything's relative. Everything's okay. I'm, I, when I was in college, they made me read a book called I'm Okay, You're Okay. And that's not the truth. We all sin and come short of the glory of God and it's not okay to sin. It's not okay to walk out on your family. It's not okay to abandon your children. It's not okay not to be a good father or a good mother. It's, it's abomination to God uh, to, um, to, to kill a baby. God resists the proud, but we have lost our shame. Look at Isaiah chapter uh, 5. We'll go to Ezra and close. But Isaiah chapter 5 in our, t in our text. And I want you to look at this woe real quick. Isaiah chapter 5. And look at verse uh, 21. It says, woe unto them that are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight. We have open rebellion. We have a binding of boastfulness. And, and, and we have a, a, a prideful spirit. Pride and arrogance of Israel. To start erecting idols. They were redeemed from the hand of the enemy. They were, they were, they were set free from slavery. They just had an inflated view of them, uh, inflated view of themselves. America acts like they have all the answers. We don't have all the answers. Jesus is the answer. He's the way, the truth, and the life. And folks, He's the life. He that hath the Son hath life. We're too proud to admit our true spiritual need. You know what's so sad that there's more people out of church than is in church on a given Sunday. And you know why they believe that? They don't believe they need God. They don't believe they need the Word of God. They believe they can work it out themselves. Well, let me ask you a question, America. How are you doing without God? How are you doing without God? We're too proud to admit our true spiritual need. Our marriages are struggling. Children are rebellion. Our walk is shallow. Anger is out of control. There's violence in the street and it's, it's coming into the hallways of our schools. And, and why should we be shocked at that? 
when a generation rises up and says, I'll stay at home and practice on video games, killing people on Sunday morning instead of being in the house of God and let a preacher say, that's sin, that's wrong. And then we see Isaiah's indictment of, of Israel in verse 23. It says, which justify the wicked for reward and take away the righteous of the righteous from him. I believe one of the last rungs of de-evolution is being entertained by sin. Romans chapter 1, last verse. But also I believe one of the last rungs before God judges a nation as Roman Empire and as Israel sends them into captivity. It's when we have a perverted justice and a society that just forsakes God. We're motivated by greed and personal gain. Corruption becomes an accepted way of life. You know, it's a joke now to say a corrupt politician. And a lot of people say, they're all corrupt. Well, I know a few that's not. But folks, it's a standard, it's a status quo today. And so Israel's indictment was, you perverted justice. Right's wrong, wrong's right. Everything's right in your own eyes. I want to close by saying this real quick. And I know this hasn't been a fun message, but we didn't come here just to have fun. But some people came for the pie, but they didn't come for the fun. But I want you to see this message. In Isaiah chapter 5, verse 23, it says, which justify the wicked for reward and take away the righteous of the righteous from him. But then it goes on to say, hey, listen, there's a payment. Payday someday. If you'll ask Rome why they fell, it's because they were materialistic. The divorce rate was over 50%. And they lived for sports and not God. And they brought up idols. And they even worshipped their leaders as gods. And God took that nation, that Roman Empire, and destroyed it. But I want you to see, real quick, Isaiah chapter 1, verse 7. Isaiah chapter 1 verse 7, the payday. The Bible says in chapter 1 verse 7, your country is desolate, your cities are burned with fire, your land strangers devour it in your presence, and it's desolate. It's overthrown by strangers. Overthrown by strangers. Folks, I'm going to tell you something. I believe that our country should be open to everyone that wants to come into it. But I don't believe we ought to accept their gods if, if they have idols. I believe we ought to reach them. The land was overthrown with strangers. Their sacrifices were unacceptable. Look at verse 11, chapter 1. To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices unto me, saith the Lord? I am full of burnt offerings of rams and the fat and, the, uh, and, and fed beasts, and I delight not in the blood of bullocks or the lambs of the goats. He said, listen, religion is not going to get it. And I'm going to tell you something, the contemporary movement's not going to get it either. Just because you can have fun and have a thrill, that's not, going to get, that's not going to get it. We need true worship of God. And we need preaching from the Bible, the Word of God. Look at verse 15, Isaiah 1, 15. And when ye spread forth your hands, I will hide mine eyes from you. And when ye make many prayers, I will not hear. Your hands are full of blood. Could that be said about America? Our hands are full of blood. Uh, I, I tried to look up some statistics, and 
over 60 million babies, excuse me, 600 million babies. No, 600,000 babies were aborted last year in the United States. 600,000. And as of 2015, the total since 1973, 45,789,558 babies have been aborted. That's a lot of babies. That's more than the population of Dalton. Dalton's about 33,000. Whitfield County is about 102,000. So 45 million babies have been all uh, sacrificed on the altar of convenience, career. I don't want to have them. And folks, I want to tell you something. Life begins at conception. And folks, over 600,000 were aborted last, 600,000 last year. So we got a problem, and the problem is not politics, and the problem is not some social disorder. The problem is sin. And there's a plague because we won't have our prayers answered. Look at chapter 2, verse 6. It says, Therefore thou hast forsaken thy people, the house of Jacob, because they, have, they be replenished from the East and are soothsayers like the Philistines, they please themselves and the children of strangers or foreigners. Now don't get offended by that. I'm just saying, folks, God forsakes those who forsake Him. God took away their food and other basic provisions. Chapter 3, verse 1. For behold, the Lord, the, the Lord of hosts, doth take away Jerusalem from Judea the stay and the staff, the stay and the staff, and the whole stay of bread, and the whole stay of water. You know, I'm really shocked and surprised that we don't have more famines than we have in the United States. I'm shocked and surprised we don't have more earthquakes, more tornadoes, more hurricanes that wipe out whole cities. Because, friend, I want to tell you something. The Lord said there's a judgment upon a nation that does not put God first. Chapter 3, verse 4 says, All the mighty men uh, will not be available for leadership. Young people will be arrogant and have no respect. Look at chapter 3, verse 5. and I'll, I'll try to close this, this wonderful sermon. But look at chapter 5. It says, And the people shall be oppressed, every one by another and every one by his neighbors. The child shall behave himself proudly against the ancient, that's the older people, and the base against the honorable. Folks, there will be a lack of respect. And ultimately, they'll be taken into captivity and the nation of Israel was, and they were chastened by the Lord. You know what's so wonderful? And i got to get to this point. Y'all think I'm the most negative preacher in the world. God is negative, but he is positive too. God offers mercy, Brother Joel. God offers mercy. I want to show you the mercy he offers. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 10. The Bible says, Isaiah 1, 10, real quick. It says this, or real slow, either one you want to do. Hear the word of the Lord, ye rulers of Sodom. Give ear unto the law of our God, ye people of Gomorrah. See, God calls out to the worst possible scenario of culture and says, hey, listen, just return to the word. I believe every homosexual can get saved if they'll come to God. 
I believe every lesbian gets saved, they'll come to God. I still think we ought to love them and help them and try to reach them. Say amen. Not kick them out of the church before they get in the church. That's not what Jesus would do. But we've got to give them the word. Look at uh, verse 16 of chapter 1, and this is the key. It says, wash you, make you clean, put away evil of your doing. From before mine eyes, cease to do evil. We need to call people to repentance. Repentance. God says you can have mercy, but you've got to realize you're a sinner. You've got to look at the Word of God and see what, what sin is. And then you need to come back to me and come back to my plan, my word, and God will restore himself as King of kings and Lord of lords. Chapter 2, verse 5. It says, O house of Jacob, come ye and let us walk in the light of the Lord. Amen. Chapter 1, verse 19, the Bible says this. It says, if you be willing and obedient, 119, ye shall eat the good of the land. God will bless, and God has blessed this nation. But how do you get that mercy? Turn to Isaiah, Ezra chapter 9, verse 6. That's a few books back towards Genesis. Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Job, Psalm, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Psalm, Solomon, Isaiah, somewhere around there. Look at Ezra 9. Ezra 9. Page 539 in your old Schofield, if you have one of those. Ezra 9, verse 6. Look at this. And said, Oh my God, I am ashamed and blessed to lift up my face to thee, my God. For our iniquities are increased over our head, and our, and our, and our trespass is grown up unto heaven. He said, we are under, we are un, we're under it. Sin's over our head. It's out of control. I would say that describes America to the T. It's out of control. It's out of control. Uh, try to be a policeman for one day and see what you have to deal with. Try to be a judge for a day. I don't know how they don't have nervous breakdowns and have to go to a psychiatric ward after about two years and see what comes across the uh, bench and what comes across on trial. It's terrible. Kids killing their parents, parents killing the kids, brothers killing brothers. <sighs> People selling their kids for money. And it's happening in this county. Sin's gone way above us. And you know what the Bible says? We ought to blush about it. We ought to lift up our face to God. Because our iniquities are increased over our head. I wish I could really give you a happy, happy July 4th message. I was so happy yesterday when my wife came back from that Amish country and she had all this great vegetables and she cooked the greatest meal I ever had in my life. And I said, man, she's fattening me up for the kill. Because the message I got on my heart is going to run everybody off. But I'm going to tell you this. I ain't apologizing for this. And I don't think Isaiah apologized for it. If we're going to have a glorious relationship with the Lord, every dwelling place and every assembly must be clean. Look at Isaiah 4, verse 5. Isaiah 4, verse 5. This has just been a, a long Bible study from the book of Isaiah. And some of you said, I wish you'd hurry up. And I'm trying. You don't want me to leave you in the middle of this message or you'll be totally depressed. There is hope in the Lord. 
There is help from above. There is mercy. And there is grace. No matter what you've done or how low you might have got, God can pick you up. Look at Isaiah chapter uh, uh, 4 verse 5. The Bible says this, And the Lord will create upon, upon every dwelling place of Mount Zion and upon her assemblies a cloud of smoke by day and, and the shining of a flame fire by night. For upon all the glory shall be a defense. God says, if you'll get right with God, I'll restore the glory. And the glory will come back. And if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek your faith and, and admit your sin, he said, I'll, I'll, I'll forgive your sins and, clean, and heal your land. Give me, let me give you one more woe. Isaiah chapter 6. You knew I was going to get there. And I want you to look at... Uh, not only that God offers pers- uh, revival or, or mercy, but God offers personal revival. Isaiah 6, 5 says, Then I said, Woe is me, for I am of undone. I am undone because I am a man of unclean lips. How much have you cussed this week? How much have you said something bad about your neighbor this week? How much have you fussed this week with your wife or your husband? Unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of an unclean uh, lips, people of uncleanness, for mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And folks, I want to tell you something. It was all these woe is you, woe is you, woe is you. And then the year King Uzziah died, he saw the Lord high and lifted up. Holy, 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 his train filled the temple. He saw a vision of God. He saw, that's what we need today. We need a vision of God. And then he said, woe is me. Because he thought he was pretty good until he saw God. And then when he did that, the fire, the flu, the seraphims, uh, having a live cold in their hand, and, and it says, and taking the tongs from off the altar and laid it upon the mouth, and lo, he has touched my lips, and thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sin purged, verse 7. And then he said, also I heard a voice from heaven, Lord, saying, whom shall I send? He said, who will go for us? And then said I, here am I, send me. Folks, our, our, our call is not just to rebuke the hypocrite and rebuke the world. But our call is to have personal revival. And realize it's only the grace of God. It's only the grace of God that you're here tonight. That you have a decent home that you have morals and standards, and that you haven't committed all these sins that we mentioned today. Woe is me. And when you do that, God will cleanse you and forgive you, and then he'll send you as the salt and the light of this world. I want every head bowed, every eye closed. I'm going to ask Brother Randy to come and give the invitation to a poem that I want him to read. I want you to think about the message tonight. I want you to think about the seriousness. I try to be as serious as I can be, and it's hard sometimes for me to be totally serious for 45 minutes. But which way, America? Which way? I want you to listen to this while they play God Bless America, and Brother Randy reads this, and then we'll, we'll have a time of prayer. and Go eat. Have fellowship. One nation. 
under God. What does this mean? It means that we have this land, this flag, this government as a gift from the great God Almighty. It means that this did not become the land of the free and the home of the brave by blind fate or a happy set of coincidences, but that a wise and benevolent God was hovering over us from the very hour of conception and long before. When Columbus discovered this land, he took a cross in his own hands and planted it upon the new soil, fell upon his knees, and kissing the earth, took possession of this continent for God. Faith in God hung the lanterns on the power of the prow of the Mayflower as it charted the treacherous Atlantic. That frail vessel was laden with deathless destiny. The pioneers of a powerful nation, the herald of new freedoms, the trailblazers of a new epic in human history. Later, during those difficult but decisive days of the revolution when a handful of common people won their freedom from a mighty world empire, through the crucible of a civil war, through two world wars and a number of smaller wars, through a great panic and ravaging depression, none but the fool could fail to see the hand of a sovereign God upon the golden land of the free. But today, America faces a danger point. We must confess with troubled heart that America has forgotten God. She's rolling in luxuries, reveling in excesses, rollicking in pleasure, revolting in morals, and rotting in sin. What can we expect of a society in which passions are riderless horses, in which there is a desolation of decency, in which love has become a jungle emotion, lust is exalted to lordship, sin elevated to sovereignty, Satan worshipped as a saint, and man magnified above his maker. Today, the bleak winds of destiny are howling in protest to the way we are living. It is sheer folly to suppose that the strength and security of America lies in its vast economic resources industrial prowess, scientific ingenuity, diplomatic skill, and military might. Our real defense as a nation rests in the spiritual convictions, character, and commitment of our citizenry. Our forefathers founded this nation upon the Christian faith, and it will live so long as the Lord is our God. The Pilgrim Fathers left a land where they were persecuted to find a land wherein every man through countless ages would have the right to worship God in His own way. These strong and stalwart champions of a new order landed at Plymouth Rock. They knelt upon the shore and dedicated this country to God. When the Constitutional Convention met at Philadelphia to organize the nation and write a constitution Venerable old Benjamin Franklin called upon the members of the convention to fall upon their knees and pray for divine wisdom. Today, as of old, each of the coins of our pockets bears this inscription, In God we trust. The same principle of dependence upon God is embodied in our national anthem. Blessed with victory and peace, may the heaven-rescued land 
praise the power that hath made and preserved us a nation. Sin separates a nation from God. Sin separates this nation from God. But we are not without hope. I agree that the picture has a dark background, but I would like to place a crimson cross and bursting tomb and a glowing sky in the foreground. From the very throne of God, there comes this message to us. Come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. We must return to the faith of our fathers. We must go to our knees in humility and prayer and contrition and confession and repentance and forsaking of sin. We must go back to the cross where the incarnate Son of God was cursed, condemned, crucified for the man, the creature's sin. The crisis is acute. The danger is imminent. Time is running out. Something miraculous must happen to the heart and soul of America. Now, before it's too late, the choice is clear. It is repent or perish, revival or ruin, Christ or chaos. The question of the hour is, which way, America?